37. And basically the whole, the whole thing in a nutshell, and there's lots of different ways we can go about it, so this is just kind of what, what I was seeing as I was looking through it and studying it, was that you and I, the thing you should pull from this is that you and I are saved by God's grace. Okay, now that's a no-brainer. When I say that we're saved by God's grace, everybody in here is going to say amen. That's right, right. But the reality of what that means is that you, you are a believer in Christ, not because you're smarter than anybody else, or not because you were more reasonable than anybody else, or because you're more attuned to what God is saying than anybody else. You are a believer simply by God's grace. He drew you by His Spirit and He saved you because of His good will. Simple as that. Now, didn't mean that you, you know, I'm not saying that you didn't have to decide. I'm not saying that you didn't have to, you know, make a choice and all that kind of stuff. That's not what I'm saying. But your faith is. And and this is where it gets sticky because your faith is not actually what saves you. It's grace that saves you, but it's grace that saves you through your faith. Does that make sense? That's what that means is I could say I have a great faith in God and I trust in God and God is just happy because I am so faithful and I am so I just trust him so much. Does that sound right? Is that right? No, God, that would be saying, I have so much faith, God had to save me. He's just so proud of me because I'm so faithful. No, that's not, not, not what happened. God looked down and you were a sinner. You were an awful, terrible, horrible sinner, just like me, just like everybody else. And when you were yet a sinner, He loved you. And He came and drew you by His Spirit. And He saved you. Okay, so what we see so far is Jesus is going to, he's going to give a little sermon here at the end of John 6, and he's going to explain that salvation, he's going to explain the grace of God and how God draws sinners, and he's going to explain all this, but what I found most uh, troubling about, and troubling is probably not the right word, but it just seems like Jesus is being purposefully offensive, You know, the further you get down in John 6, the more offensive he's getting. And it's almost like he's trying to run everybody off. Uh, I told Brother Eddie the other night, I was like, don't worry about being offensive. You got you in good company because this chapter here, Jesus was like, he started with 5,000, remember? 5,000 followed him. They wanted to, you know, make him king. It said they wanted him to be king over them. And he left and he went on the other side of the sea and the 5,000 followed him. And it was actually maybe 20,000 because 5,000 was just the men. They followed him over to the other side of the sea and they said, Jesus, when did you get here? And his answer was, you're not even seeking me because you want me. You're seeking me because you ate of the loaves and were filled. You want your belly full, right? And so... After he tells them that they don't believe, verse 36 is where we stopped last week. It says, but I say to you that you also have seen me and you believe not. That's what he's telling these people. He goes to, he goes to, uh, 
he goes to explaining to them why they don't believe and he gets more and more offensive. So by the end of the chapter, which we may not get to, 40 verses is a lot to go through in one class. But by the end of the chapter, there's only 11. He goes from 5,000 at the beginning, probably 20,000 women and children everything, down to 11. He's actually got 12, but one of them is a devil. He says, one of y'all is a devil. So he's really only got 11 people. So he whitt- it's like he's whittling the crowd down from 20,000 down to 11 people. And so I, it's just, it's, it's different. So, you know, I hadn't thought about that perspective, but that's the way I, I feel with today. I hadn't thought about that, you know, because there's so many people out there that just don't have a clue. Here we are, this little bitty church. I feel so blessed. You know, I talk about it all the time. You know, we have people that truly love each other. Mm-hmm. And this massive world out here. Yeah, and I think the point of this chapter is that what you're talking about, it's easy because what you said is true, but it's easy for us to start thinking that maybe we've got something better than all them people that don't understand. See what I mean? Like, how many of you have lost family members, and you say to you say to your family, you know, I just can't understand why they can't see what's going on. Why can't they get it? And the reality is that it's not that you're smarter or that you've got a better head on your shoulders or that any, the, the reality is God's grace. You ever heard the saying there, but by the grace of God go I, you know, that's, that is, that is true. And I got to think about this week, you know, if, if, if it weren't for God's grace, I, I mean, it wasn't, it's not like, it's not like, uh, I was saying, oh, God, please save me. And God was like, nope, not going to save you. Wait, wait for my grace to get there. No, it was, I don't want to be saved. I don't want to be saved. I don't want God. I don't want it. And it was God's grace that came and changed me to want to. See, you see what I'm saying? So it's, it's a matter of God changing my want to. I, I didn't want him before his grace found me but when his grace found me my heart changed and I wanted him and I desire him and he's the you know he's became the center of my life not because I'm so awesome and I wanted to make him the center of my life but because he changed my heart let's get in the text we're never going to get finished because it's too many verses first let me just read verse 37 through 40 it says all that the father gives me shall come to me and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out for I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up on the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone who seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. So he's telling these people, now remember the context, these people are coming to him and they're saying, remember what they said last week? They said, uh, we want this bread, you know, give us bread give us more bread and Jesus said I am the bread you know I am the true bread and if you uh, take of this bread you'll never thirst again you'll never hunger again and all that stuff and they said well we want that bread give us the bread and Jesus told them you see me but you don't believe in me and then he says he's explaining their unbelief and he's telling them that the father and the son are perfectly united in bringing salvation you see the father gives those to the son and the son is in charge of raising them up at the last day. Can you imagine these Jewish people are standing around and they're 
you know, they're, they're, we know the Father. They're saying, they're saying we're, we're God's people. You know, we know we worship God and we, we know that we have salvation, we have eternal life. And all of a sudden, here comes this guy who says, no, the Father has turned all that over to me. You know, I am in charge of judging. I am in charge of raising people up. He said, all that the Father gives me, he said, I will raise them up on the last day. It says, uh, where was that? 38 says, I came down from heaven to do his will. And this is his will. He said, verse 39, that of all which he has given me, I should lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. And he says it again. This is the will of him that sent me. Everyone which seeth the son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. So he's saying the only way that you can have everlasting life is through the son. You see how it works? And also that you are secure. If you come to Jesus through, if you come to the Father through Christ, there is nothing on heaven and earth that can stop him from raising you in the last day, which means eternal life, heaven, eternity. See what I mean? Y'all understand? That's kind of a no-brainer for us. You know, that's what we, that's what we believe. But I want you to take just a second and imagine what these people that he was talking to were thinking because all their life they were raised to keep the law, the Jewish law, we're the God's people and this is how you know and God was father in the sky and you know he is he is the one to whom we have to make sacrifices and all this and then all of a sudden here comes the Messiah, here comes one who says now the father has given all that to me. I am the one who raises people up into eternal life. I am the one who judges. I am the one who, I mean, if that was you listening, you probably would be like, you know, I mean, just imagine, what if some dude come up to you today and said, hey guys, I'm Jesus. Good to see you. I'm back. You know, you would probably, first thing you think was like, what a nutball. <laughs> you guy's crazy, you know, and that's what they were thinking. Now, what he's going to show you is that to trust in him with your heart is not a natural thing for man to do. It's not, it's not a natural. Johnny Wayne preached the other day about, about uh, last Sunday, about the natural man doesn't receive the things of the spirit because he can't receive them. They're spiritually discerned. And what Jesus is going to say here, he's going to show you that it's God's grace that turned your heart to desire him, to love him, to want him. And he's going to tell these people, he's going to say, you don't believe in me uh, because you're not my people. Uh, so let's, let's read on. He says, basically he's saying, God's entrusting, God has entrusted me with, every, all, with, all, with giving life and with judging and all those things. Verse 41, the Jews then murmured of him because he said, I am the bread of life which come down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it that he says, I come down from heaven? So what's going on now? They're, they're complaining, they're murmuring, they're saying, well... Now, wasn't this the same people who wanted to make Jesus king not too long ago? I mean, all of a sudden, instead of, instead of we want you to be king, we want you to be, you know, all this. Now it's, how can he say he came from heaven? We know this guy. We know his mom. We know his dad. We know where he comes from. Right? You think they were too familiar with him to believe him? I think a big part of it is they just simply wanted his magic tricks, miracles, whatever they called it or thought of it. No, they were really interested. Yeah, that's exactly, I mean, sure. And, and people today do the same thing. 
They just they want what they want what Jesus can do for them. I want you know it, it could be as simple as peace and joy. I want peace in my life and I want joy. I don't really want Jesus to be the center of my life. I don't really want him to rule and reign over me. I just want the the stuff that he can give me. He can, like we talked last week, he can bring my wife back if she's gone. He can ease my suffering. He can, you know, fix my finances. He can do all these things. But when Jesus, when they came to him and they said, we want what you have. We want the bread. We want the bread from heaven. Jesus said, I am the bread from heaven. What you want and what you're asking for is me. And so when they said that, First of all, they're not getting the bread that they actually want. And so they said, how can this guy say that he's come from heaven when we know his mom? We know his dad. We know where he's from. We know he's from Nazareth, you know, Nazareth. Yeah, Nazareth. And so they were so familiar with Jesus that for them to trust him in a saving way was almost, it was almost... A ridiculous proposition, wasn't it? I mean, today it reminds me today of us who who say, you know, I was raised in a Christian home and I I go to church all the time and we Jesus we talk about Jesus and Jesus this and Jesus that. Sometimes that's the most dangerous place to be in your life is knowing all about Jesus and having been raised here in the Bible Belt and knowing the things that Jesus did and knowing all the facts about Jesus and knowing you know you're so close to Jesus you you think that you know because I know all these things because yes I've heard the stories and because what are all these things you think well that makes me okay with Jesus when the reality is you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and in fact if someone would come and say you know I have a question as to whether you know let's talk about maybe whether you are truly saved or not it would be offensive like how dare you how dare you try to I know more about the Bible than you do. I know I've been to church. I've done all the things. I know how dare you try to tell me it's so offensive, you know. And so I think this is where these people were. They wanted what Jesus could give him, but they didn't want him. And sometimes we find ourselves in that same spot, you know. Uh, We want what we want. And if uh, if Jesus offers us, the point is that he is our satisfaction, And if you try to find your satisfaction in anything else, it'll always fall flat. It'll always leave you wanting more. So really, I mean, you can even find satisfaction in good things. Like you can try to find uh, some people get satisfaction from their family, some from their wife or husband, some from the, the stuff that they have, some from going to church and, you know, listening to the music, some to, you can, you can even take good things. And if those take the place of Jesus's central role in your life, then you've misplaced your focus. You're like these people saying, we know God. We, we worship God. We want the bread that you give. And when Jesus said, I am the bread, they're like, well, come on, man. Come on. We want the real bread. We want the real bread. And I, I, I better hurry up. I ain't never going to get done. Okay, so they were too familiar. Now, what Jesus is going to do here, the next, the rest of this chapter, at least until verse 60, is he's going to explain why they don't believe. Okay, and so I want you to pay close attention 
Verse 43 says, Jesus therefore answered. They said, you know, they were saying, isn't this Jesus? We know who he is. You know, how can he say he came from heaven? And verse 43 says, Jesus therefore answered and said unto him, murmur not among yourselves. Now, here, listen to this. It says, no man can come to me except the father which has sent me draw him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and he's going to prove it from the Old Testament. It's written in the prophets, and they shall be taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father comes to me. Not that any man has seen the Father, save he which is from God. He has seen the Father. So what he's saying, anybody want to hazard a guess? I don't have to do all the talking. He's saying, no man can come to me unless it's given to him by my Father. What does that mean? That means that the Holy Spirit's got to draw them. Yeah. It means that man in his natural sinful state is unable. Not because, not because he wants to and can't, because he doesn't want to. See what I mean? He doesn't want to. He doesn't desire. The natural man does not desire the things of God. He does not. And so they're saying, we don't know, Jesus. We're not going to come. I mean, we know your folks. We know, you know, we know who you are. You really can't tell us that you're from heaven. You know, and he said, you know what? Just stop grumbling because really no man can come to me unless the father draws him. And so what I want you to see is when you were saved, if you were saved, it's because God came to you and turned your heart toward him. You see what I mean? It wasn't because all of a sudden I figured it out in my mind. And I, you know, arguments never get anybody into the kingdom of heaven. So if you want to, you want to have, I love to argue, but if you want to have arguments about Bible stuff and theology and all that, that's great. But 99.9% of the time, it's never going to, never going to bring anybody into the kingdom. God has to do it supernaturally. You have to have a supernatural change of hearts called regeneration, where God changes your heart to desire him. He says, no man can come to me unless the Father draws him. And he says, and I will raise him up on the last day. So what he's saying is, what he's saying is that the Father, if you knew the Father, then you would come to me. If the Father was working in your life, if the Father was working in your heart, if you were truly worshiping the Father, telling all these people who believe they got it going on, they're religious folks now. He says, if you knew the Father and you worship the Father and you got it right with God and me and God got it okay and I believe in God and you heard all people say all those things. If you were truly speaking with God, if you were truly worshiping and living for God, if you were doing those things, then you would come to me because God does everything. The Father saves everybody through me. The Father doesn't have no special deals or special arrangements with folks. You know, you can hear them. Uh, I've heard them, all, a, a lot of people say, you know, well, I believe in God. I pray every day. You know, I pray every day. I got my, me and God got our thing going. You know, we got whatever. If you are truly hearing from the God of the universe, the God of the Bible, if you are talking with him, if you are listening to him, if he is speaking to you, you will come to the Son. It says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. And the same, the same way is you guys have family members that are lost, maybe that you know, don't know Christ yet. The best avenue, and this is going to sound really cliche, the best avenue for you to reach those family members is, is it to talk to the family member or is it to talk to God? To talk to God. 
It's really to talk to God. Now, that doesn't say you don't talk to your family members, but if you're like me, after about the eighth or ninth time, the family member don't really want to talk to you no more. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, you done told me, I got it, leave me alone. You know, now maybe God will send somebody else to them, and then it's okay. But we pray for them that God, you would, you would turn their heart. That's what you're praying for. And if you, could, if you could reason somebody into the kingdom, if you could convince them in their own mind, then you really wouldn't need to pray. You know, God would be up there like, you'd be praying, God, please save my sister. And God would be like, I done done all I can do. You just better go convince her. No, the reality is that God has to draw that heart. God has to draw her with the Holy Spirit. He, he has to turn that heart toward her because sinful hearts don't want God. They don't want they don't want to come to Christ. They don't want to do anything that has to do with God. Does that make sense? Are y'all tracking with me? Valerie? Yeah? Okay. Just making sure. Okay. So, you get the point so far? And that's why the crowd was starting. Right. I can't feel it, touch it. You can't give me something I can put in my mouth. I can't take it home with me. That's exactly right. They wanted something to make them comfortable, to feed their belly, to make them, like if you weren't here last week, we talked about bread. Back then, if somebody didn't go out and work, nobody ate in the house that night. You know, it wasn't like we can store food in the refrigerator or, or whatever. You had to go out that day and you had to make money to buy bread for that night. And then you go out the next day and you make money for bread that night. If you didn't go out and make money, if you didn't go out and then nobody eats. And so when here comes Jesus and all this bread from five loaves and two fishes, they were like, yay, we can have bread all the time and we don't have to worry about where it's coming from anymore and all this stuff. And Jesus said, you know, you're seeking me because you want bread. You're not seeking me because you want me. And the more Jesus talks the more offended they get. And the more offended they get, by the end of the chapter, they're like, forget this, let's go home. Okay, so it says, uh, where am I at? 47. 47. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me has everlasting life. That's an important, that's a kind of a central verse in this chapter. Because Jesus is going to talk about a lot of things. He's going to use a lot of different pictures of salvation. He's going to say, you need to eat my flesh. You need to drink my blood. He's going to say, uh, you need to come to me. You need to, you know, all these things. But the central point that he's making of what all that means is you have to believe. Believe on me. You have to trust in me. And it's not just a, I believe there was a Jesus and I believe he was God's son and I believe that he died and that he rose again. It, it's not that kind of belief. It's a trusting yourself to him. See, I'll explain that a little more later. Let me, let me keep going, otherwise I won't never get done. Verse 48. Let me just do 48 through 51. Jesus said to them, finally, he's saying, I am the bread of life. Your fathers, remember when they brought up the manna last week? They brought it up in the first part of the chapter. He said, your fathers did eat the manna in the wilderness and they're dead. He said, it didn't really help them, did it? I mean, it kept them alive for a little while, but it, they died anyway. He said, this is the bread, talking about himself, which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. He's saying, I'm the true bread, bread. Verse 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now, up until now, it was like, they were like, now Jesus, we know you. We, 
You know, how can you say you come from heaven? Now, all of a sudden, he's saying, I'm going to give you my flesh to eat. You know, and for, can you imagine? I mean, they were thinking, they're going to think he's talking about cannibalism. You know, they're going to think he's talking about... I mean, and so all of a sudden, why Jesus pushes the language, I, I don't know. That's what I struggle with this week, is why he... I mean, he could have stopped halfway through and been like, you know, they would have been, hmm, let's think about this. He wants us to believe on him. Because so far, they're like, I don't know. We know your folks. We know you. I mean, you really, how can you say you can come from here? But Jesus just keeps pushing and keeps pushing and keeps pushing until by the end, they're like, you crazy. Basically, he runs them off. I mean, that's what it seems like to me. So, comprehends that is if someone it's just like a friendship or anything that we put our faith into their friendship just if you're going to follow him you're going to follow him fully and wholeheartedly without any doubt and you know you say he almost it's almost like he wanted to push them away well absolutely he was at that point just like now testing their faith yeah you're right and that he wanted them to follow him for him, not right. for what they could do. Can, but can you imagine, like, like? Well, I see what you're saying. Can you imagine, dude, showing up at Bellevue? You know, five thousand people up there, and he said, <clears throat> "Okay, all y'all except for these, for this front row, y'all just need to leave. Y'all ain't even supposed to be here. Y'all not, y'all don't love God. You don't want, you know. Can you imagine? That would be like, you know, the preacher gets fired. He, you know, you out. You know." For, for Jesus, it seemed like every time a huge crowd would come around him, he would whittle them down. I mean, it, it was like he didn't, want, he didn't want all this. You know, he didn't want, I mean, he had opportunity in the first part of chapter 6 to be king, you know, but not the kind of king he really was. He wanted, they wanted a king that would meet their needs. And so he, he says, I'm the bread of heaven. I'm the bread that's come down. If you eat of this bread, you will have eternal life. And then to make it just another sucker punch in the face, he said, and the bread that I'm going to give you is my flesh. And so they would have probably been like, what? Is that not going to the cross thing? Oh, absolutely it does. But they didn't get it. They didn't get it. All this is going to point to him being a sacrifice. That's, we know what he was talking about. But to them, they were like, was the guy want us to eat him? You know, it's like, what's him? You know, we don't have a clue. Uh, verse, uh, verse 53. Then Jesus said, now, or 52. The Jews therefore strove among themselves. Say, first they grumbled, murmured, and now they're striving like... They're like really, really kicking against what Jesus is saying, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now here, if I was Jesus, thankfully I'm not Jesus, you know, for your sake, surely. But uh, if I was a preacher and these guys were really thinking about what I was saying, I probably would have stopped right here and said, you know, you got to, you know, my flesh is the bread that I give. And, you know, it was controversial. It's, you know, they have to figure it out. They're thinking about it. They're all, but Jesus pushes them some more. I mean, it's like he pushes them again. He says, verse 53 said, then Jesus said to them, verily, verily, which means truly, truly, amen, amen. I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. So it was like, okay, I mean, how far can you go? 
For can you imagine for a Jewish person to be? I mean, you're not allowed to drink blood in anything, but then to to eat this guy's flesh is what he's he's it's what he's saying. It's not what he means, but it's what he's saying. He said, "Unless you eat of my, except you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you." Fifty four. Whoso eateth my flesh and drink my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise him up the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. Um, 50. Yeah, it keeps going. And as the living father has sent me and I live by the father. So he that eateth me, even he shall live by, by me. This is the bread which come down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat and are dead. He that eateth of this eat bread shall live forever. Okay. So basically he's saying you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. What do you think he means? When he but says, take him in fully. Take him in, internalize him, I guess. Well, you know, like, well, he, he put it perfect. He says, you know, I, I become you and you become a part of me. And you become, you become one with, with Sure, uh, exactly. Exactly. That's right. And how does that work? How do you, when, when you, when you eat of his flesh, drink of his blood, when you become part of him and he becomes part of you, what does that look like? Your life is consumed with, with Him. Everything you do has to do with Him. Right. Every move, every thought you do by leading or else because of the knowledge that you, you know, what God Right. And I think it also, the if you remember last week, one of the verses, I think it was verse 5 or 6, way up in this chapter, it said that the Passover was close. The Feast of the Jews. So you think He might be saying... Yeah, when when they did the Passover, you eat the lamb. I mean, you don't just sacrifice it; you eat it. And then you know that in Egypt they took the blood and washed all over the doorposts and stuff. You think he's saying, you know, I'm the I'm the sacrifice. I'm the Passover. I'm the lamb that you're supposed to be eating. I'm you know, it's not a lamb that you slaughter and your family eats with your sandals on, and then you know, as a commemoration of coming out of Exodus, I'm the true Passover lamb, and you're going to eat my flesh. And you're going to drink my blood, and it's going to be given for your. It's going to be given for you to have eternal life. Think that's what he means? The final. Huh? They had to do the Passover yearly, didn't they? Yeah, they had to do it every year. But with him, it was done. Right. Right. Y'all are all looking at me like, man, come on. Well, one part that that hits me is that in verse 56, he says, He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. You know, us having the hindsight, it would have made sense for him to say that I will dwell in you. But he also, I mean, first thing he says is, You will dwell in me. Right. Right. You'll be united with him. And that's what we talk about when we say like the father, when he sees me, he sees Christ. Right. You're united with Christ. So in the father's eyes, I'm perfect because Jesus is perfect. See, it makes sense. So that's kind of what he's talking about. Like when the father looks down in judgment, I want him to see Jesus, not me, because if he sees me, you know, and I'm just using that as a figure of speech to see me. But. I want Jesus' perfection on my account. And I want my sins on Jesus and, and Him paying for my sins. Make sense? Y'all with me? Now, it's going to get a little easier here as we get toward the end. Jesus is going to kind of sum up what He's been saying. And He's even going to get on Peter a little bit for not understanding. 
uh, in verse 60, it says all this stuff about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And, and what that's talking about is believing on him. Because if you look in verse 39, it said, I will raise him up in the last day, the one that comes to me. If you look in verse 40, it says, the one who believes on me, I'll raise him up in the last day. Verse 44 says, if you come to me, I'll raise you up in the last day. And then verse 54, we just read, if you eat of my flesh, I'll raise you up in the last day. So it's all talking about the same thing. It's talking about believing on Christ. Christ. It's talking about believing him for eternal life. Okay, so verse 60, and then we'll end right here. It says, many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? You ever thought that when you read something in the Bible that it was a hard saying? And there's lots of stuff that I don't like in the Bible. I mean, but I don't like it because I'm, it's not because it's a problem with the Bible. It's because it's a problem with me. I'm sinful. You know, and there's a lot of things Jesus says that I'm like, I don't do that. I don't, you know. I'll give you a perfect example. I remember working at, when I worked at the body shop, you know, I, I had this, I had this uh, altercation with one of the guys that worked there. And uh, it was like the Lord was speaking to me through scriptures that I had read, you know, whatever. And it was like, you know, that one about... It said, "It said you, you, uh, if you have all against your brother, you leave your gift at the altar and then go make it right with your brother. Then come back." And I'm like, "I'm not doing that. I don't even care. I don't even care. You know, I, I, the verse is, is spinning through my mind. I'm like, I don't care. I'm no, no, no." And then after a little while, another verse popped in. It says, "It said uh, the next one was, uh, um, oh, come on, it was, it was." Uh, what reward have you if you only love those who love you? And I was like, oh. I, I still, I don't care. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to this guy. I'm not, I, it's not my fault. It's his fault. So I, I, this just, I can't, I can't. Okay, I understand, but I just can't. And then a little while later, the next one was the, the one who knows to do right and doesn't do right to him. It's sin. I'm like, man, come on. <laughs> You know, and to make a long story short, yeah, I apologize. And it was not, it wasn't like, I'm sorry. And he was like, I'm sorry too. It was like, dude was wrong, bad wrong. And I said, look, I just want to say I'm sorry. He said, well, I accept your apology. <laughs> then I had to go through all that again. I will, <laughs> I will cut you, man. Then I had to, yeah, but at least, you know, whatever. But what I'm saying is, it's a hard saying. There's like hard things in scripture and you either accept it or you don't accept it. Sometimes you struggle with it. And they were like, we can't accept you as, basically Jesus was telling them, look, I'm God. I'm going to be raising you up at the last day. You know, like I'm, I'm going to be the one that gives you life on the last day. And they were like, who can hear such a thing? I mean, everything that they'd ever been taught went against what they were hearing now from Christ. As far as I was concerned, he was completely blasphemous. Right. And the reality of what Jesus was teaching through the whole chapter is the reason why they could not accept him was what? Because God wasn't drawing them to come to him at that moment. 
He said, don't murmur against yourself. No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. So their idea was that we know the Father and you're telling us we need to know you. And Jesus was saying, no, if you knew the Father, you would come to me. See what I mean? Because the Father is drawing you to me. See what I mean? Make sense? And they couldn't hear it. So verse 61 says, when Jesus knew in himself, and we're almost done, that his disciples murmured. Notice who was murmuring. This is not, yeah, this is, we've transferred, I don't know if I read verse 59, but we've transferred out from a field of a bunch of people to verse 59 says, these things he is, he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. So he's in temple, I mean not temple, but synagogue. He's where God is worshipped. He's with all these people. And Jesus knew in himself that his disciples, these are not 12, but disciples mean the people that were following him. They weren't just following him like you know walking behind him they were they were wanting to follow him as as their teacher so he said disciples murmured at it and he said to them does this offend you he said what and if you shall see the son of man ascend up where he was before who's the son of man i know it's jesus What is Jesus talking about when he's calling himself Son of Man? It's like the fourth time I've asked y'all this in three weeks. Who is he he referring to when he said, I'm the Son of Man? Come on, y'all. Huh? Yes, the Messiah from what book of the Old Testament? Where he ascended to the, the... Ancient of days and was given dominion and authority and a kingdom and bum 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 fail. No, no, yeah, I was talking to everybody. It's Daniel, remember Daniel chapter 7? He says, And I saw in the night visions one like a son of man ascending to the ancient of days, and he was to him was given throne and dominion and power. And huh, yeah, y'all need to remember that son of man. When Jesus says, I'm the son of man, sometimes he means I'm just man, you know, that's what it means. But when he's talking about power, God being, uh, you know, divine. The Son of Man was someone that they were expecting to come who Daniel prophesied about in Daniel chapter 7, I believe it is. I'm pretty sure it is. And he said, he said, I saw there's one like a Son of Man. He came, ascended to the Ancient of Days, which is the Father, and to him was given authority and power and dominion and a kingdom. And Jesus says right here, he says, does this offend you to say that I'm going to raise you up on the last day? Does it offend you to say that I'm the bread of heaven? He says... Verse 62, what it, what it, what's going to happen if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? He's talking about, what are you going to do when you realize that I'm the one that's going to receive the power and authority and the kingdom from the Ancient of Days? What are you going to do when you realize that I'm the one that fulfilled this prophecy of Daniel? He's thinking, that's really going to offend you. He says, it is the spirit that quickeneth. Quickeneth means to give life, to make alive. That's literally what it says, to make alive. It's the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profit nothing. Why does he say that in this context? Why does he say the spirit gives life, the flesh profits nothing? Because the change is internal, not external. Right, and what has he been talking about this whole chapter? About being drawn. About being drawn. You can't come to me 
unless the Father draws you. Peter, when Peter said, who do you say, when he said, who do you say that I am? Peter said what? You are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said what to him? He said, flesh and blood hadn't revealed that to you. But my Father who's in heaven revealed it to you. So that's what he's saying. He's saying, you, if you, if you have come to Christ, it's because God drew you by His Holy Spirit to Christ. And if you are in Christ, if you love Christ, if God has drawn you to Christ, then there is nothing on this earth that can stop Jesus from raising you up at the last day. You see what he said? He said, if the Father drew you, then you came. If you came, Jesus said, I'll raise you up on the last day. Do you see how it's all big? It's one big unbreakable truth. So, two things that we need to make sure we understand. One, it's not of ourselves. We didn't, we're not smarter or better or whatever than the guy next to us who didn't come to Christ. It's because of God's grace. And two, because we came to Christ, because we trusted in Christ, even if our, even if we're still growing in that trust, and if you're alive, you are. You're growing in faith, growing in repentance, growing in that trust. Even if you, because you are trusting in Him, it is absolutely assured that Jesus will raise you up on the last day. And when He's talking about raising you up, He means raise you up to eternal life. Y'all with me? Everybody understand? Questions? No? I don't know. I told you this was a hard chapter for me. It says, But there are some of you, but there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not. And who would betray him. And he said, therefore, I say to you, he said, this is the reason. Because I know some of y'all don't believe. He says, this is the reason why I said, verse 65, that no man can come unto me except it were given to him by my father. And then verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Did they ever believe? They never did. They wanted the tricks. They wanted the bread. And Jesus, basically, it looks like to me, he just pushed them off. I mean, he got so offensive with them. I mean, down to talking about cannibalism. You know, I mean, he wasn't talking about cannibalism, but the way he made it sound was like, unless the spirit would show them what he was talking about, they was thinking, he's going to give me like his arm to eat and then I'm going to be eternal life. They walked with him no more. And then here's us. This is, well, here's, here's where the believers are. Then Simon Peter answered him, said, Lord, oh no, verse 67. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Now that's good, right? Peter is saying, we ain't got nowhere else to go. Right there, if he would have stopped right there, it would all been good. You're absolutely right, Peter. Yeah, there ain't no other option. You can't do nothing else but come to Jesus. Verse 69 says, and I just got this this week. I had never seen this before. It says, and we believe, Peter says, and we believe and we are sure that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, up until this week, as I was studying this in context, I was thinking, Peter got it going on. He's like, 
He's got his head on straight. He's he you know he's believing and he's trusting and he's sure and it's all good. But then Jesus answered him, and his answer didn't make sense to me. Verse seventy says, Jesus answered them, "Have I not chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil?" He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he knew who would betray him, being one of the twelve. Why would Jesus answer him like that? Because uh, Peter said that, you know, we believe and we know that you are, and Jesus is like, no, I chose you. Right. He's making sure that they don't get it in their head that it ain't got nothing to do with you. That's exactly right. And I never got that until this week. I, I don't know. I must. I just missed it. I read it a hundred times and I just missed it. Uh, I was thinking Peter had it going on. He was saying, he, he was saying, Peter was saying, look, we, we got it. We believe we, it was almost like we are a lot better than all these people. We believed in you. We've trusted you. We know you're the son of God. And Jesus said, look, I, there's even one in your own midst who's a devil. There's one in your own midst. So, so don't say that you got it all going on. It's because, of, it's because of me. It's because of God's grace that you're even here. It's because you weren't the smartest. You weren't the most, had the most money. You weren't the most influential. In fact, Peter was like Mr. Foot and Mouth all the way through the Gospels up until, you know, the Holy Spirit filled him in Acts 2 and he became this great preacher. They were all just a bunch of scaredy cats that misunderstood every word Jesus said just about through the Gospels. They never had it going on. But yet Jesus took them along and took them along and took them along until they were filled with the, filled with the Spirit. Y'all understand that? So the point, I think, is... From the beginning of this chapter to the end, it looks like Satan is winning. Because it starts out with a huge multitude, ends up with 12 guys, and one of them's the devil. And so it looks like if you see that number dwindle down and all these people going away from Jesus, you'll think, what's happening here? You know, something's going on. The devil's winning. Jesus wants us to know, no, I've got it all under control. They're going because they're not part of, they're not part of me. They're, they never were part of me. And he says, look, the devil is right here in the 12 and I put him there and he's going to stay right there and he's going to do his job. You know, it was Judas. It was the devil in Judas that was, that would betray Jesus and have him go to the cross. And the cross was, is the reason why we're all here and we're able to be saved. You see what I mean? So even in your life, when, when it looks like everything is, it looks like Jesus is not winning, you know, when it comes to your spiritual walk with him, when it comes to the things that come up in your life, when it comes to uh, trials and things that you have, it, you know, it, it might look like Jesus is not winning. But according to what John is trying to tell us in this chapter is that even when, even when it looks like things are going downhill, uh, Christ is still in control. God is still in control and he is still working all things for good. When I say that, I mean, uh, I always say the devil is God's devil. It's not, you know, it's not the devil and God aren't like two opposing forces fighting each other. You know, God is God. The devil is a created being. So God uses him for his purpose just like anything else. So when, when Satan entered Judas to go and betray Jesus, Satan was like, Hi, I'm going to get him. I'm going to tear all this up. But what was God doing in all that? 
God was using it. God's going to send his son to the cross. I was just going to say, I just got in listening to you say all that. Jesus was also saying, not only do I have control of all this, I got the devil right here. He's my little, you know, he can't do what I think he do. Right. And, and I'm not saying, you could make that sound like, you know, the devil's real and the devil is active and he's evil and he's trying to do bad things. So we're not discounting that. But if you're a believer, God works all things for your good. So if, just like Job, the devil had no authority whatsoever to pluck a hair on Job's head. He could not touch him anywhere. He could not do anything until God gave him the okay to do it. And what was God's reason? It was for good. For Job's good. Now the devil, he all he wanted was evil. So you see what I mean? Our focus as believers is not on, oh, it's everything's just bad, it's whatever. It's God, you've got it, it's under control, and it's all working out to your good. And I just need to I just need to trust in you. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? Anybody else find the chapter very difficult? Yes. Anybody else read the chapter besides me? It was, it's huge too, man. 70 verses. It's like, how do you do 70 verses? I got stuck right in there, right? 